Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, October 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new settlement will change the way policing is done in a Mississippi county where some blacks felt targeted. Then the candidates for Secretary of State go head-to-head in Hattiesburg. We'll hear from both of them. And a statewide burn ban is in effect. Just what does that mean, and how long could it last? That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. judge has approved a settlement in a racial profiling lawsuit against the Madison County Sheriff's Department. Yesterday, U.S. District Court Judge Carlton Reeves heard the details of the consent decree. The agreement includes training for officers, new rules for traffic checkpoints, and a community advisory board. Private attorneys and the American Civil Liberties Union represented eight plaintiffs. Attorney Jonathan Youngwood. This settlement will take Madison County a long way but it's going to be dependent on the people of Madison County and specifically the Sheriff's Department of Madison County to carry it out. And we believe they'll do that. We believe that they will act in good faith. The settlement is based on the assumption of good faith. Gaddafi Manning says he was relearning how to walk after a spinal cord injury when he was taken out of his home by deputies. He's one of the eight plaintiffs in the case. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he was being pressured to give accounts of events he had not seen. Well, what happened to me should should have not happened to me or anybody in my situation, condition, or anybody in general just because because you want to get a conviction or get an arrest for something you have not done. And since that time and since that situation, I have learned a lot. And I just learned, and one of the main things that I learned was to always stand up what you believe is and what you believe is right. So you felt brutalized because uh, sheriff's deputies wanted you to tell on someone or say that you saw them doing something that you didn't? Yes, exactly. I felt, I felt humiliated because I was outside and my boss was in handcuffs and I had just learned how to walk. So I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling trying to get back up the stairs. My wife had to meet me to meet me out uh, on the stair on the walkway with a cane while I'm in my boss's and my neighbors watching me. So I'm, I'm, I'm really humiliated in, in public and everybody seeing this just because of me not writing a statement for something that I really didn't witness. What condition do you have um, that um, has impacted you? Uh, the condition that I have, I have an M1 spinal cord injury. Also, they took out my spleen. I was shot five times and you know I, I and during that time you know it's embarrassing but you know I was wearing a pamper and I was just going through a whole lot of difficulties and I was really just going through rehab just learning how to be a man and stand up on my own two feet again. 
Did they take you to jail? No, I did not go to jail at that time because I haven't committed a crime. All of this time, these two years, how were you feeling before you knew there was going to be a conclusion that you would be pleased with? Uh, since that time of the incident, I was really just being careful, being in fear, making sure I watching over my shoulder, making sure I wasn't being targeted in a way, and I was just paranoid the whole time. And Were I'm you still, really? Yes, I'm still a paranoid right now. Even after the settlement, I'm, I, I still feel like, you know, it, it's not over. I feel like, in football reference, I feel like it's like uh, a, a targeting thing to happen uh, uh, on on a fair play. Like when somebody target a person, a helmet to helmet, I feel like something like that's about to happen to me. But at the same time, my trust is in the Lord, and anything is, anything that will happen is, is His will. Are you satisfied with the agreement? Uh, yes, I'm satisfied with the agreement as of right now. I am. Gaddafi Manning. Canton resident Lawrence Blackman is another plaintiff. He tells our Desiree Frazier the constant possibility of being stopped for no reason made him uneasy. Uh, well, in general, I experienced uh, the anxiety and, and, and just the general sense of unease that comes with living in a community that is over-policed, uh, living in a predominantly African-American community uh, where there is a sense of awareness that we are being policed uh, because of the color of our skin. What was happening? Uh, well, roadblocks uh, coming uh, into and going out of apartment complexes and, and neighborhoods, uh, specifically roadblocks uh, in front of apartment complexes uh, that uh, there are single entry, uh, meaning one way in and one way out. And so in order to come uh, into or leave from our homes, we were uh, would have to be subjected to these checkpoints. And what would they ask you? What would they What were they looking for? Uh, well, they would ask us uh, for for ID and uh, to run to check to see if we had warrants. Uh, sometimes even requiring us to step out of our vehicles uh, so that they could search the car for for, for drugs. Uh, these, of course, being unreasonable uh, searches, uh, not prompted. Uh, by by uh, probable cause, as is required by the Constitution, uh, even on foot, being subjected to pat downs and and uh, and other uh, um, um, personal uh, searches like that. Were people arrested? Oftentimes, people would be arrested. Yes. And they had to bond out, so it was at their expense. That was right. It was absolutely at their expense, at their family's expense, uh, having to bond out and having to deal with uh, whatever fallout came. Uh, from being subjected to an unreasonable and unconstitutional uh, search of their car and or person. So what happens now? Uh, well, now we go forward uh, with the hope that the Madison County Sheriff's Department will uh, comply with the spirit of the agreement. Uh, we look forward to living in a community uh, that is not under the thumb of the Madison County Sheriff's Department. We look forward to being able to move about our community freely uh, with that and without the anxiety and worry and, frankly, stress uh, that comes along with living in a community uh, where we all know uh, at any point and at any time uh, we could be subjected to the whims of a sheriff's department that, that uh, if they didn't endorse, they, sort of, they certainly uh, uh, were willing to enforce unconstitutional uh, racially bias. So are you relieved? Do you feel? Certainly a sense of, of, of relief. Uh, certainly a sense of relief, yes. Lawrence Blackman with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Attorneys for the Madison County Sheriff's Department say the allegations of bias were never proven. They say they settled to save time and money.
Coming up, the candidates for Secretary of State go head-to-head in Hattiesburg. We'll hear from both of them. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Republican and Democratic candidates vying to be Mississippi's next Secretary of State both appeared in a public forum at William Carey University in Hattiesburg. Former Hattiesburg Mayor Johnny Dupree and Republican State Senator Michael Watson held a discussion moderated by WLOX News Director Brad Kessie. Each candidate was asked to outline the biggest change they would make at the Secretary of State's office. Dupree began by grabbing his smartphone. You know, this thing right here. You ask a young person about voting, first thing they tell you is, why can't you do it on this? You ask them about uh, registering online, and we tell them, well, you can't do that. If you register, you can re-register online, but you can't register online. That doesn't seem like what we ought to be doing. And so that's why it's important. If we want to increase voter participation, voter access, then we have to do those kinds of things. Do you have a, a plan? You still have a minute left. That's why I'm jumping in. Do you have yes. a plan to, to try to get... Uh, voter registration online uh, through? Well, we're going to, next, you know, that's legislative. Uh, 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 the legislature has asked to do that. But what we hope to be able to do is, if, when we're elected, is to get all the circuit clerks, municipal clerks, all the, uh, the other officials, election officials and whatever, in one room, and let's talk about how do we have an open, you know, things like open primaries. I mean, people say, why can't I vote? You have to determine, do I vote for the sheriff or do I vote for the secretary of state? People shouldn't have to make that decision. You should be able to go and vote so that your vote is counted for everybody who's running for office. You need to be able to do that. Why do we, why do we vote on Tuesday? Well, we vote on Tuesday because we're an agrarian society. And in that agrarian society, you only had one day because you had the harvest, you had the planet, you had church, you had all these other things. You had one day to go vote. Many, many cities and states now are voting on Saturday. We need to be able to do that. Because we don't have one job anymore. We have many jobs. Michael Watson says cybersecurity is an important issue to consider. He said he has concerns about Dupree's idea to move voter registration online. As for his biggest proposed change, Watson says he wants to take on driver's licensing. That's a job currently handled by the Department of Public Safety, and Watson says it isn't being handled correctly. Yeah, the biggest change that I proposed, and it's one we mentioned just a few minutes ago, that the DMV uh, moving over to the Secretary of State's office, and uh, you asked the question why you proposed that. Well, again, if you're going to run for public service, you should be willing to tackle big issues. And right now we see our public uh, having just a John Brown, heck of a time uh, trying to get their license. Uh, I, I went to an office in uh, somewhere in Mississippi, I won't say where, <laughs> uh, but I snuck in the back door and was talking to folks there and I was asking them, look, what did they tell you? What, what's your wait time here? How long do you have to wait? Uh, the average was four to six hours. And so I would say, well, well, ma'am or sir, you know, surely there's something hard that you're here doing. Uh, we're just trying to renew our license. Four to six hours to renew your license is ridiculous. Listen, I'm a conservative. I believe in small government. There are limited things that government should do. But when government is involved, like public service, like like issuing licensing, uh, issues like that, it should be good service to the citizens because they deserve that good service. So what we've said is, listen, uh, it's it's a train wreck right now. It's a problem. So instead of just sitting there and watching it go by, let's address it. Let's try to tackle it. So what we've said is, look, it's it's the SIP plan, service, information, and professionalism. You can look at it on our website, michaelwatson.ms. And so we, we want to propose several different things, but uh, a, a streamlined internet service basically just for driver's licenses. 
Uh, we've talked about doing things like privatizing the central uh, printing of licenses. Right now it's all over the place. Uh, so we would centralize that in Jackson, and then, and then they would mail out to the certain places where you get your licenses. Um, that saves money but also is more secure. Uh, you talk about scheduling appointment times. The, the DMV is actually trying to do that now, and I think that's a great idea. Uh, but we would encourage that and, and promote that even more. Uh, we've talked about some kiosk issues where you make that more available to the public. Uh, we've talked about privatizing CDLs. Um, again, that's an economic development issue. If you look at your truck drivers right now, every day that they miss out of work is roughly $500 to them. That's important. You think that doesn't hurt a family, $500 a day? That's critical. And the reason why they can't do it is because government is standing in the way. That's unacceptable. Each candidate spoke about how they got into the race for Secretary of State. Republican Michael Watson says it was a conversation with Governor Phil Bryant who encouraged him to seek the office. About three years ago, I sat down with Governor Bryant. We are kind of having a conversation. He was in his last term, obviously, and I was coming up on my what I thought would be, probably be my last term and be going home. And uh, he asked the question, so Michael, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, Governor, you know, I really hadn't thought about it. Uh, I think I'm probably just going to go home. I've got a wife, and at the time I had two little girls, and now three little girls. My wife's at home, by the way. My little baby's probably still asleep. Uh, but, uh, you know, Governor, I, I don't have to be here. This isn't what defines who I am. Uh, my relationship with God, my, my title as a husband, my title as a son, my title as a friend, my title as a brother, those are the things that define who I am. So I don't have to have this capital. It doesn't define me. He said, well, Michael, out of, out of left field, have you ever thought about running for Secretary of State? I said, no, sir, Governor, I haven't. Never crossed my mind. Never wanted to be Secretary of State, never thought about it. He said, well, listen, you're an attorney. You're a small business owner. You've been in the legislature for three terms now. You've dealt with election law and other issues under the umbrella of the office. I think you should consider it. I think you'd make a great Secretary of State. You know, it's one of those ideas where you kind of walk out and thought, man, that was a cool conversation. That was great. I'm not doing that. (laughs) But as time goes on, you knew how these ideas kind of set in. They don't leave. And they continue to come up, and you continue to think about it. So I decided, you know what, I probably should pray about this because this won't leave. And so I did. I prayed about it, got a piece about it, and then more importantly, uh, possibly, is the conversation with my wife. Uh, Laura and I had a, a great conversation about it. I said, Michael, this is something that you need to do. Uh, the Secretary of State's office is, is incredibly important to our state. As you heard earlier, it's a high-profile office. There are a lot of issues under that umbrella. So I believe it's important that we have a conservative in that office uh, because making sure that Mississippi has conservative leadership is important. On the Democratic side, Johnny Dupree says the decision started with his family. The love of my life is, is my wife, who um, allowed me to run. Uh, you know, after two <laughs> years being out of politics, I really had to persuade her to allow me to do this. Uh, but, but I want to be as frank and open as, you, as I can. The, the reason I got back into the race is because uh, of the election, because of election reform. Uh, we're a better state than having 30 and a less percent of people coming out to vote. And we need to make sure that we do everything that we can to have the increase of access, increase the participation, and, and increase the voter confidence that we have in, ele- in the election process. And unless we do that, we have something less than a democracy. And so what I want to make sure that we do, and I, there's a myriad of opportunities and duties that the Secretary of State has. Just like being mayor, you can't imagine the kind of duties that you have being a mayor. I liken it to the Secretary of State. But the one reason I came is to make sure that what we have here in Mississippi, what we have here in Hattiesburg and the Gulf Coast, is what we all love, and that is a democracy, a democratic republic. 
The complete candidate form is available on William Carey University's YouTube channel. Mississippians will decide the next Secretary of State during the November 5th general election. And speaking of the Secretary of State's office, a key voter registration deadline is coming up. Mississippians who want to vote in the November 5th election need to register a month ahead. That's tomorrow. Circuit clerk's offices are open regular hours today and will be open until noon tomorrow. Coming up, a statewide burn ban is in effect. Just what does that mean and how long could it last? We'll talk about it next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. All 82 counties in Mississippi are under a statewide burn ban with no exceptions. The governor signed the proclamation because of the extreme drought conditions in the state. Jason Scott with the Mississippi Forestry Commission says during the month of September, commissioned firefighters responded to 239 fires that burned approximately 4,200 acres throughout Mississippi. He explains to MPB's Ezra Wall. We have not had a significant rainfall in five or six weeks. Um, there's been some spotty showers uh, here and there throughout the state, but nothing to nothing significant enough to bring us out of the drought conditions um, that w- that we're seeing um, throughout the entire state. So that's really what um, what made the Forestry Commission move forward with requesting the governor issue the statewide burn ban. The number of fires that our that the Forestry Commission firefighters were responding to was was on a daily basis. That was growing, um, and also we were seeing the fire. Uh, a lot of the fires get um, get larger in size. So we were going from, you know, a ten you know, multiple ten to fifteen acre fires to responding to you know, fires that were getting you know, fifty, sixty, some even into the um, up over two hundred acres. People see all the time uh, the the fires that make the news, you know, the ones that happen in a home or in a business or in the middle of the city somewhere. How often do uh, fires happen in either agricultural or forested uh, areas in Mississippi? You know, it's a, you know, wildfires, you know, when when people think about wildfires, you know, they they think about the big, massive wildfires out in California. But Mississippi, um, we we see a lot more wildfires than people realize. Um, From September 1st through September 30th of this year, um, the Forestry Commission firefighters responded to and suppressed 239 fires that burned approximately 4,200 acres throughout the state. Um, the, that, those 239 fires, those were just the fire, just the fires that um, the Forestry Commission was called out to. That does not include the, the you know, the the fires, the brush fires, and the 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 grass fires that. Um, Local local fire departments or volunteer fire departments responded to and suppressed before the call was made to the Forestry Commission. Um, so you think 239 fires in one just in one month? Um, that's a significant amount, and it can all be traced back to the extremely dry conditions that we that we're seeing right now. When there's a burn ban in effect, people are you hear people say, "Oh, that doesn't apply to me because I live in the city," or even the opposite of that. Some people say, "Oh, that doesn't apply to me. I live in the county. I can do what I want. 
Um, what what can't people burn, and who does it apply to? This burn ban issued by the governor applies to everybody, everybody um, in every county and every city in Mississippi. So it is a it is it is truly a statewide ban. This ban is for any outdoor burning that produces an op- that produces uh, an op- that has an open flame that produces an ember. So that you know, some of your uh, so the most common cause of wildfires in Mississippi is debris burning. So it's fall leaves are starting to fall out of the trees. People like to rake those rake those leaves up, pick up the sticks to clean their yard, and you know, put them into a big pile and, and light it. It's easy to get rid of that way. That is the number one cause for wildfires in Mississippi. Um, campfires you know, with you know this, these fronts that are about to move through this weekend and the first part of next week are going to bring some cooler temperatures. It's deer season. People are going to be. It's fall. Pe- people are going to be outdoors more. Campfires are you know are, are prohibited under this burn ban. Um, fire pits, burn barrels. Um, they've got a lot of different names, but the the biggest thing is that. Any outdoor burning that um, with an open flame that produces embers is prohibited under this burn ban. What's not prohibited, and we do we have we have had several questions um, just in the last 12 hours since the governor issued this burn ban um, yesterday afternoon. You can people can still go outside and grill. They can still use their uh, their gas or their gas propane charcoal grills. They can still use their gas or propane heaters outside. Um, what we what we do ask you know charcoal grills are can, can be very dangerous because there's a lot, a lot of people when they finish grilling they the way that they dispose of the of those of those charcoal briquettes is they let them cool down a little bit and they go into the back part of their their property and they dump them out well that it just takes one small little ember and embers can smolder for quite a while it may to the, to your eye it may look like those like those coals are out but um the best way to know if that if those embers are truly out is to put your hand is to actually put your hand on them um if they are cool to the touch then it's then it's okay to to dispose of those um we recommend disposing of coals in a metal in a metal bin once they are cooled that way it takes away any opportunity for that for those embers to to ignite something how long is the burn ban expected to last you mentioned until until uh, we get uh, a good amount of of uh, rain is that going to be one rainfall or is it going to be more than that it's a little more complicated answer than just a kind of a a significant rainfall event what the forestry commission goes by we use what's called the keech byram drought index and what this scale is is it indicates the amount of rain in inches it t- it will take to bring soil moisture levels back to out of drought and back to normal it's going to take six to seven or more inches of rain to bring us out of this drought conditions and and this is this is a good consistent rain over several over several days jason scott with the mississippi forestry commission i appreciate your information and your time thank you thank you ezra thanks for listening to the mississippi edition podcast from mpb news and mpb think radio don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and if your app lets you leave a comment or review we really do appreciate it Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.